Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of Jacked Radio. When I got this one booked, I instantly got really excited about this, because Jack Lover is someone that I've looked up to for a very long time in my career. I first went over to Spartan Performance, which is the gym that Jack owns, I think around four or five years ago, to a Christian Thibodeau seminar. And not only was I taken aback by the environment, but also the presence that Jack had in the room himself. So I couldn't help but going over to speak to him and getting to know Jack. Now I've had the privilege of knowing Jack for, like I said, four or five years now, and he's actually been coaching me for coming up to a year as well. Spartan Performance is certainly somewhere that I would consider to be the place to get stronger in the north of England, if not the whole country. Jack's got a background competing at the highest level of natural strongman. So we discussed not only his experiences as a strength athlete, but how those inform his business and also his life as a coach and how all of those things are tied together in Spartan performance and the values that they have there. We discussed the lessons Jack has learned through strength sports, his core values, which are what I believe really makes Spartan a special place. And we finish up with talking about Jack's advice for anyone pursuing strength personally and professionally. Now, this was an episode I really, really enjoyed. And for anyone who is looking to get strong in any aspect of their life, this is not one to miss out on. So enjoy the episode with Jack Lovett. First off, Jack, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to uh, to come on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Likewise, Jack. It's a, it's a pleasure to be a guest. I really appreciate the invite, so thank you for your time as well. My pleasure. And let's start with, for anyone who uh, who doesn't know uh, about yourself, what is it you do? Um, and can you tell us a little bit a little bit about your background before we get going? Certainly. Well, my name is Jack Lovett, and I thought I would get that in there because I believe your previous guest was Alex Clark. Yes, right? yeah, we've had Alex on that already. For some reason, Alex thinks I'm French and that my name is Jacques Lovett. I've heard him say that a few times on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, Jenny, Jenny Todd, I think she brought it to his attention yesterday. <laughs> That's not my name. So for those that don't know me or listen to Alex, my name is Jack Lovett. I'm known for, well, founding and owning Spartan Performance. So we're a facility based just outside of Newcastle. And I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that we were the first warehouse gym-style facility in the UK like 11, 12 years ago. So that's how I started in this business as a coach, and obviously it's progressed from there. Alongside that, I also competed in Strongman, both nationally, nationally and internationally as well. I presently don't compete, but I did build both of those things alongside each other. Awesome. And in terms of getting us started with all of this, I think that's a really good place to begin. So where does your journey in strength begin as you, with you as an athlete rather than you as a coach? Okay. From an athlete perspective, I was lucky to compete at various sports to a high level from an early age. So I competed nationally in athletics and in rugby from about 11 years old onwards. So that wasn't traditional strength training or gym training, but I did get to compete to that level. And that went right the way through till the age of 17. At that time, I actually managed to row internationally for Team GB in the World Championships in China. Wow. And yes, I have eaten bats and rat on a stick. I mean, yeah. So it was your fault, this, was it? 
Well, it was a while ago, so I was kind of hoping that it wasn't directly related to me. But I, I mean, I've had baton rice and I found it delicious. But then I don't know if you know anything about rowing training, but it's fucking horrendous. That's why I refuse to use a Concept 2 rower anymore. But I think like, I was close to eight, 9,000 calories a day and I weighed an almighty 14 stone. Like, the training was that demanding. I also worked generally, at least in the summer months when I was at school, I would work for either on a farm, building sites, or actually as a bin man. So I had a really physical job during the day, plus all the training for the rowing. So I was starving all the time. So by the time we got there, I was pretty hungry. But about 70, and I did manage to experience another side to international sport as well. In that sort of time period, I went to a school in Newcastle, the Royal Grammar School, and they did have some semblance of a strength training program. So for the time, they had a great gym, and they did expose us to it a little bit, but I'll admit it was fairly intermittent. So predominantly, my physical training outside of the athletics would have been working on farms from a young age, working on building sites, etc. cetera, so very manual labor intensive. Once university finished, though, I kind of, and that sort of, those competitions fell by the wayside, partly because I suffered a shoulder separation, which put me out for quite a period of time, and also partly because I let myself slip. I lost that competitive edge. But once I came back from that, then I started to expose myself to, you know, structured strength training. I also sort of participated recreationally in MMA and CrossFit. So that kind of takes us up to pretty strong man for me anyway. Okay, so it's, it's a pretty, pretty diverse background of training across all sorts of sports then? Absolutely, and I consider myself very lucky for that. And what, what, what was the, the kind of point or what was the thing that got you into Strongman from there then? Well, I've always loved Strongman, and I, I think I've used this example in the past when people have asked. I still remember Christmas 1995, World's Strongest Man was on the TV at Christmas, as it used to be until very recently. And there was a guy called Manfred Herbel. I think he's from the same Austrian town as Arnold Schwarzenegger came from. And he had fucking huge arms. So I must have been, I don't know what, 10, 11 years old. I saw that on the television, bought Magnus for Magnus, and you know, the greats from that time. And I was captivated by it. No idea why, but that was on the television. And that really sort of inspired me from a very young age. Not necessarily to become a strong man, but that just really sort of, it struck a chord deep within me. So from that point, I was always a fan of strongman. And then as I was probably becoming more successful in my sport, approaching my late teens, Marius Pujanowski came around. So not only did he perform like no humans ever performed before, he did that whilst looking pretty much like no humans ever looked before as well whilst doing that. So that was out there as well. And that kind of gave me the bug for strongman. But I never thought that I would be able to compete Actually, around about that period of time in my late teens, I trained out of a gym that had some sort of affiliation with Strongman. So this was the time when Glenn Ross would have been a UK champ, a guy called Steve Brooks, who's a local guy, he was competing. So there was some semblance of that training within the gym, but it didn't seem to be open to me for a variety of reasons. Um, at the time, I interpreted it because those that did were willing to do things that I wasn't willing to do. But... That's not necessarily means that was the case. That's just the way I interpreted it. So it felt like it was a step too far for me, but I always loved it. Then obviously I started to train more seriously for strength training. I took a huge passion in it. I consider myself a little bit of a historian, so I'm fascinated by the works of Bruce Kubik, dinosaur training, looking back to you know Eugene Sandown, George Hackenschmidt, people in historically very strong people. So my training was influenced by that. 
So I always had it in the back of my mind that I would love to do something like that. And then perchance, and this was actually whilst I had Spartan or I just opened Spartan on a, a T Nation forum, I saw an advert for Britain's natural strongest man. And I'll admit at the time, though my opinion has changed, the natural side did appeal to me. But also the events, they were things that I loved. And the weights, you know, seemed within reach. So I thought I would give it a shot. And it worked out pretty well. So I kind of ran with it from there. Cool. And what were, what were some of your successes in Strongman then from competing in Britain's natural strongest man? Where did it kind of take you from there? Again, I consider myself pretty fortunate. The very first year, I actually won it. It's my first ever competition. I became Britain's natural strongest man champion. For what that's worth as well. Some people wouldn't have heard me say that, assume that I felt like I was the strongest human in Britain at the time. I don't pretend to be that, but there was a decent level of competition for athlete in that particular competition. I'm assuming you follow Phil Learney? Yes, I do. Well, yeah, so Phil was competing in that competition. Oh, cool. I kicked his ass, even though Phil doesn't say that. No, he was really an incredibly strong guy. There was a good level of competitor, a guy called Ben France. So because I won that, it kind of put me, not on a pedestal, but it put me in a certain position. So to me, the only competition after that was to defend my title. And again, I was lucky enough to defend that the second year. So in 2010, I defended that title. I will say, though, the standard of competition increased massively between 2009 and 2010. I don't think it would be inaccurate for me to say that it was pretty easy to win the first one. And that's not a disrespect to the guys that I was competing against. The events suited me. You saw my background. I was pretty athletic, pretty explosive. So it kind of worked out well. The year after... There were a lot of good people, and there was one individual in particular that was, you know, really fucking good. And that guy's went on to some tremendous things in the strength sport world as well. So that victory was pretty good, and I do put that up there as high on the accomplishments. But key for me was it exposed me to something called World Natural Strongest Man, which I had no clue even existed at the time. There was actually a referee in the British final in 2010 after I'd won that actually said, did you know there's a world's do you want to get involved? So, I mean, I thank him for that. So I reached out. That got me to... So I won the Britons again in the August, the bank holiday August. The world's final was that Halloween, that October. And that was a massive step up. Like, that was legitimately a massive step up. Not only in terms of the level of the athletes, because I was positively tiny. I remember when I got off the plane, and there was competitors like six foot eight, 160, 170 kilos, I think I was an almighty 110 kilos at the time, which for me is pretty small. So the standard was there, but also the weights, they were you know, massive, plus the scope of the competition. It was televised. It was, Despite not many people having heard about it, it was a pretty damn big deal over there. So that exposed me to that. And I'm going to use the phrase lucky again. That was awesome for me, that foot in the door, because at the time with that sort of federation, you were flown around the world, all expenses paid, plus some really good prize money. So I got to see the world. There were competitions in South France, in Hungary, in Canada, in Dubai, in Australia, uh, Sweden. They were all over the place. So that really, for a few years, exposed, like, let me see the world, but also compete to what I consider to be a really good level as well. So no idea what your actual original question was there, Jack. You caught me reminiscing. But that was pretty much what I got to experience that side of things. That's awesome. And it, it sounds like it's, you know, a, a journey not only of competing, but also of wider experiences there too. It, 
honestly, if looking back, but I'd have probably said at the time as well, it really helped me grow as a person. Not only from the point that I had to go out, well, out of my comfort zone, believe it or not, I've never actually, despite holding lots of competitions, I've never competed in my gym. I've never competed in local competitions. So for me, the first one was in London, and then it was off around the world, whether I had support or not. But I met some wonderful people of all nationalities and the camaraderie that you get, but also I think the maturity that it brings. I've got to be careful using that term because I'm, I'm really not that mature. But the ability to meet, to converse, because you're not just there and competing, you have time before the competition, time afterwards. I built some friendships that still last to this day. So it was an, an awesome experience, and I'm very grateful that I got to experience it. Yeah, sounds fantastic. And on, if we look at the opposite side of that then, what are some of the challenges um, and maybe potentially some of the failures that, the, that you experienced in Strongman and how did you kind of work to overcome them both mentally and physically? Well, I suppose the biggest failure was I didn't win World Natural Strongest Man. Out of all the competitions, the highest I placed was second. Mm-hmm. Um, the first comp I finished, the lowest I ever placed was ninth. That was my first time. And the last time I competed with the final was fifth place. That was actually the one that I was most proud of. So from a failure standpoint, I didn't get to win it. But at the same time, in the time that I competed there, I didn't deserve to win it. I wasn't good enough. But I honestly feel like I was getting close to be competitive. So the top three guys, the gap between me and them was getting closer and closer. So it was incredibly exciting. So when that all ended, the the Federation itself collapsed, the funding collapsed. So it pretty much went from being this awesome international event to nothing pretty much overnight. Yeah, I see that as a failure. If you're looking, I mean, that was potentially out of my hands because it stopped out of my control. For me personally, the challenge that I would face is I'm actually not that strong. So I'm, I've never been the best statically. So despite having those titles, if I was to tell you my static lifts at the time, they wouldn't, they wouldn't I mean, they're pretty good, I suppose, but they're not going to set the world on fire. The way that Strongman worked well for me and probably appealed from a young age, I love flipping tires, pulling trucks, loading Atlas stones, moving events, the dynamic things. Maybe that's why Marius Pujanowski appeals so much to me because I view him as the ultimate strength athlete, not necessarily the strongest person to move an object from A to B once, and that's it. He was incredibly dynamic. Mm. Now, I'm no Marius Pujanowski, but I believe that I had those sort of qualities. I was very explosive in nature, but I had decent muscular endurance. So I was good at those events. But the ones that you need to excel, especially at the high level, naturally that wasn't my forte, so I had to work at those. So those were definitely challenges then, and they're even a challenge now because I'm still in the game of trying to be as strong as I possibly can. I have physical gifts. you know. I have an aptitude to certain physicality. But at the same time, like everybody else, I do have weaknesses or things that don't inherently come easily to me. So I have to work hard at those. And they were costly for my strongman career because... If I was stronger in certain things, then I'd have you know, placed better in some competitions. But I don't think I did too badly either. I've, I must admit, you talking about Marius Pujanowski takes me back to being a kid, watching him on World's yeah, yeah. Man as well at Christmas. He was an absolute phenomenal athlete, wasn't he? It's like, I'm no fan of golf. In fact, anybody I know that plays golf generally gets the piss taken out of them from me because I'm ignorant, I'm naive, but it's also easy to do so. But I could watch Tiger Woods play on YouTube repeatedly. I have no interest in swimming from a personal standpoint, competitive swimming. 
but I could watch Michael Phelps win 365 gold medals whilst eating pizza any day of the week. If you watch somebody at the top of their game, irrespective of sport, the Williams sisters playing tennis, I don't profess to be an enormous tennis fan, but you can't help but just sit down and awe and see that. In fact, I was consulting with a professional motorbike rider, and he was telling me he was a big fan of Valentino Rossi. I'd heard the name, but I wasn't particularly well-versed. Yet I can check out some of his highlights of races and the amazing things that he did throughout his career. And you just can't help but ju- it just transcends the sport, if that makes any sense, or transcends sport itself. Four strong man, in my opinion, Marius Kujanowski was that enigma. Something that anybody could watch. You don't have to be a fan of strong man and go, fuck me, what is that? It was amazing. So I'm glad you feel the same way. Absolutely. It's that level of mastery of your craft that's just you can tell sets someone apart they make it look effortless like watching Tiger Woods play golf I think well I can't even play crazy golf man you (laughs) you watch that and you think oh it's easy pulls 300 yards that way I'll just knock it in they make the complex or even the superhuman just seem so mundane and ordinary and that is a rare quality like have you ever watched Usain Bolt running 100 metres and think that's a guy trying hard. No, he just seemed to float past people. It must have been so disheartening for his competitors, but awesome for us to watch. Yeah. Um, you look at Joan Lomu, I remember him from rugby. Again, now I'm more of a rugby fan than, say, tennis or golf, but then watching him play, again, if you look at those highlights, it just transcends that. And for me, Marius was that guy in Strongman. Absolutely. And there's, so there's one thing that you that you said that I wanted to quickly touch on before we move before we move on and that was you said that the the time where you placed fifth you considered that one that you're most proud of yes Um, so why what was it about that that you're that you are most proud of about that that finish there i competed twice at britain's national strongest man i won both first year with ease well i mean that with the best possible respect the second year by the skin of my teeth against one guy a guy called ben kelsey if you don't know who he is well worth checking him out oh i don't like bigging him up publicly because you know he's a friend of mine and he gets too much praise as it is but the gap between us and everybody else was substantial yet when i went to the first worlds i got my ass handed to me granted i think it was 23 24 competitors so ninth wasn't too bad but i was basically a duck out of water believe it or not there were Atlas Stones and a York carry in that comp. Because they had never featured in the previous comps I've done, I'd never actually even trained them before. So you, you can go on YouTube if you want, and I sometimes use this as an example when I'm working with clients who are struggling to see the long game, which is something that I you know, espouse, especially in strength training. So the York was 450 kilograms, which is just fucking insane. And I believe that I moved it, you can watch it, maybe an inch, right? And I'm going to fight, and it didn't even look like an inch, but I am claiming that inch. It nearly fucking killed me. And yet there were guys there that were, comp- I mean, there was plenty struggling, but there was others that were completing that course. I got my ass handed to me. I didn't even know how to pick an atlas stone up. I didn't know how to use tacky. So basically, I was very, I was humbled. And I realized that I went from not being a big fish in a small pond, but I was good on the national level in that particular federation. Internationally, I was not amongst the top dogs. Everybody, even the qualities, you know, flipping tires and things like that, the dynamic events, I was still behind the, the top guys. So I had to come back to, not the drawing board, but I basically had to make up for some lost time. I was up against much taller guys, much heavier guys, although there were some similar to my weight, they were also stronger. Basically, I just wasn't the best. 
So I had to work incredibly hard at that. And if you look at my placings, there were some nines, then it was fifth, basically then fifth, and then a roundabout, and then second, et cetera. But when I came fifth at that final, because there were such things as Grand Prix, team events, et cetera, but one every year, Halloween, it was the final. So the best performers out of all of those previous competitions would come together in Budapest and compete. So that year, the level of athlete in my mind for a natural competition was immense. There were some tremendous athletes out there. And the gap between first and myself wasn't much. There were points in it. So I mentioned Ben, ben Kelsey. So I, even though I beat him in the Britons at Worlds, he was beating me. And then that year in fifth, you know, the gap it was down to like a point or something like that. And I just felt in my training, everything was going up. The static lifts were starting to match the moving. The moving events were going better. I was injury-free, for, which for me is a rarity. You know, I just felt like I was approaching peak powers or the ability to keep pushing through that. The level of competition there was something that wasn't to look at and think I need to catch them. I was around that. So to me, it was a little bit frustrating. Sure. There we go. And so you said Spartan had started at the same time as you were competing in Strongman. Yes, pretty much so. Yes. Cool. And so I obviously I, I know this personally from knowing you for for the last couple of years. But you you went over to America and spent some time with Joe DeFranco. Am I correct? That's correct. Yes. So I had the idea. I always had the not always, but prior to that, I had a vision of having my own facility and. What I was ended up doing was being drawn, finding the internet, even though it was basic to get a hold of, looking at the things that inspired me. Bear in mind, I had the history of the Brooks Kubrick dinosaur training. I was basically just training in the field. But I came across Louis Simmons, Westside Barbell, and I was hooked by that intensity, the training methodology, the results, the strength that it was producing. So that's I was more gravitating towards coaches or gyms in the US, but in particular, Westside Barbell. And I remember seeing an article on Teen Nation, which I was reading a lot at the time. And I believe it was, is it Strongman for Skinny Guys or something? Or? Is it Westside for Skinny Bastards? No, no, no. Joe had that program out there, but he had a separate article, Strongman Training for Athletes. Okay. That was the first DeFranco article that I saw, which in essence he was showing how he used farmer's walks, tire flipping, arm over arm with his NFL combine guys. And then that brought me to the Westside Skinny Bastards program. Long story, that's how it kind of introduced me. So when I saw what he was doing with athletes, he was using concepts and methods that I was an enormous fan of, but he was then implementing that and getting tremendous results with athletic populations, you know, from teenagers. We had guys at high school and then up into the NFL combine, and you also had NFL athletes. That really just again struck a chord with me. This is somebody who's not just doing three sets of 10, or maybe some bodybuilding and mirrors, which I'd seen in gyms in the UK. And that's not to disrespect them, but I did, that didn't have the same level of appeal for me at that time. So that was this was a guy that was getting those results. And then you see it was a warehouse gym. Everything about it, just that raw industrial look. I'm a sucker for hard work. I respect hard work and the results that, that brings. So I followed him and I reached out to him and I was lucky enough to be accepted onto his first and, as it happens, only mentorship that he ever offered. So I basically kissed ass in an email. I still have that email, by the way. And then figured a way to basically go across and live in New Jersey and mentor. Not necessarily work there. I wasn't employed, but I would be at the gym from open until close and doing whatever I could to assist in the background just to observe what was going on. And that was, it was an awesome experience. And it's one that I still appreciate to this day. 
and is that where you kind of took that and ran with it to start building Spartan then? Believe it or not, Spartan existed before I went into Franco's. Okay. I'm very much the quintessential example of doing things backwards. So when I started the business, I had no business plan. Ultimately, I looked to the US. They had facilities or what I deemed to be facilities that were doing things that I wanted to do on equipment that I wanted to use, and they weren't in the UK. I was passionate about being a coach. I did have coaching experience at that time and beforehand. So I was coaching out of the MMA gym that I was training at. I wasn't coaching out of the CrossFit gym, but I was exposed to coaching that way. Um, in the career, I was working in prison service at the time, so I was instructing weightlifting within that. So I was coaching, but it was recreational. But then to see somebody making a career out of it, and then that became my true, probably my first true passion in terms of a career for that. But I started Spartan prior to going to DeFranco's. I didn't get the opportunity for the mentorship until it was already up and running, which is a little bit weird. And then, so if you look at what I did, I didn't start a business. I just wanted a gym that I wanted to train at, and I thought that other people would love. But I had to start a business, so I was probably becoming an athlete or pursuing being a strongman athlete. I was learning how to become a business owner on the fly, as well as learning to become a coach. So ultimately, I had to take the gamble and spend money that I didn't have to go over to New Jersey there and then bring that back and then not necessarily try and copy that here because that's not what I wanted to do. Best, all you can do, you know yourself, when you want to learn with somebody or do somebody, you're getting an insight into how they operate in their environment with their clientele. You can then maybe look at things that look you know, useful and try and use that in your own environment, but they might not necessarily be the same. So yes, I came back to Spartan after DeFranco was the first time because I've been across on multiple occasions. And that's pretty much when we went from strength to strength. And what's it like looking back from, you know, where you're sat now, having just moved facility to a, to a much bigger space? What's it like looking back on that, you know, sort of pre-DeFranco's that like, the, I guess the birth of Spartan and, and where that came from and your progression over the years? Well, I'm pretty proud, I won't lie. I do have some satisfaction, a lot of satisfaction, especially if I'm to pause and take a look. And I'll admit this particular time during the enforced closure, that has given me a period of time for reflection because up to that point, well, that's the only time my business has been closed in the last 12 years. It's pretty much been you know, full throttle, trying to become the best athlete I could, trying to become the best coach I could, and then trying to become the best business owner as I could all at the same time. I don't necessarily recommend that as how others should do it. So it's nice to be able to stop, not necessarily smell the roses, but appreciate what you've managed to build. So I do feel proud over that, but probably most proud because there are a lot of similarities. Many of the things that I wanted out of my facility, things that I was trying to achieve pre-DeFranco's, but especially post-DeFranco's, they're still here. I'm still proudly in a warehouse and in an industrial estate. I still proudly have power racks. I still proudly predominantly operate or see the value in the barbell, the dumbbell, the body weight, the kettlebell, sleds and prowlers, things like that. Granted, we've increased our equipment range, et cetera. The facility has developed to be probably be a bit more user-friendly, shall we say. But I think that initial DNA, our identity, it hasn't changed. So I use the term results-based strength training to define spartan performance. That's what it was then. It has had to adapt to ensure that it becomes a successful business because there's a very big difference between having a gym and having a successful business. They are two very different things. And I wouldn't say that there's had to be compromises made along the way, 
But ultimately, you have to look at things from a different, or not solely from the perspective of, I'm going to go in there and go to war and live like a goddamn god, and everything's going to be perfect. That work that works incredibly well for me personally when I train and when I competed, but you can't necessarily have a business solely built upon that. Or at least not in my experience to be still going strong after the amount of years that we have. If you know what I mean. But it is nice. I'm happy with what I've got, but I'm probably equally, if not more so, happy that our identity hasn't really changed much over that time. And I can testify that Spartan has by far the best hack squat I have ever used. <laughs> Well, there we go. There's no <laughs> higher praise. And, and, and I mean that. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're an accomplished coach yourself. Exposure to numerous facilities around the UK. You work in Pioneer in Newcastle, a great facility with some great people. So to hear that coming from you know, a coach that I respect, I genuinely appreciate that. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, you know, honestly, it's, it's also been a, a pleasure to see Spartan grow from strength to strength as well. So I obviously kind of first discovered you guys through the seminars that you ran hmm. and it's been it's been pretty cool to watch from the outside of how you've grown over the last couple of years and and see that progression as well so it's uh, I, I think it's probably just as good for people to stop and look back on how much Spartan's given them too okay well, that's actually, uh, hey that's nice to hear uh, <laughs> I really appreciate that you feel that way hopefully we've had a positive influence a positive touch on other people over the years to get to this point I'm I'm absolutely sure you have, and one one thing that I think is is interesting that I I do see with with a lot of people who've been both successful in business and in their sports pursuits is how they kind of two inform each other. Or even if we look at you, yourself as an athlete and as a businessman and as a coach, do you think there are things in each of those that help kind of separate parts? So do you take things from being an athlete that help you as a coach, or being an athlete that help you as a businessman? Yes, I do actually. Let's categorize being an athlete as strength training because mm-hmm. it's pretty much strength sport. And that's probably the main reason why I'm so passionate, why we are a results-based strength training facility, why I'm so passionate about strength training. It's pretty much in the title of anything I ever use. Strength training has given me so much in my life outside of the gym not just inside of the gym or inside of a competition. So yes, I've been able to develop my physique and strength in the gym. Yes, I've been fortunate enough to compete at a high level around the world. So it gave me that. But the benefits, the qualities, they transcend the gym floor. And this is, again, something that I like to talk about, especially with my younger athletes, so the youth athletes who come in, children who come in with us as well. So if I look at the things that help me to become successful competing, You have to see the bigger picture. You have to play the long game because strength doesn't come overnight. It is a pursuit that's achieved over years at a time. Even decades, you can measure progress. So you have to have the discipline to commit to something and also make sure that you do that day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, even though the rewards might not be immediate. So it's that discipline, that hard work, that was then I was able to translate that into how I approach business because I didn't come into this as a businessman, didn't come in with a business plan, no skills, no savvy, and no fucking money either. So, and there was, I got some lucky breaks. I was fortunate. Some things could have went south when they didn't, and I am fortunate for that. But at the same time, what I feel like I got right is I worked incredibly hard, incredibly hard. Can't say that I worked harder than anybody else, 
but by the silver in my beard, yeah, and the age of my face, I feel like I really did. Yeah, there's something that Joe DeFranco, one of the things that he said that stuck with me at the time, he said that he would always look to outwork his competition. He may not be the smartest coach out there, the wealthiest in terms of what facility he could provide, but he was in control of the effort that he put in and, you know, how much he was going to hustle, how much he was going to skill himself with courses, certifications, et cetera, et cetera. So that, I used those qualities in strength training and they delivered because strength training does not discriminate. If you put in the hard work consistently enough, intensely enough, over a sustained period of time, results will come. And I've found that that has translated into business. Now, it's not a guarantee because there are the factors at play, but it helped me no end because then those 80, 90, 100-hour weeks, like legitimately, if you were asking questions about the first three to five years, I'm probably not the best person to answer those. Ask people that were around me, because I sit here sometimes thinking, and I can't even remember which year was which. It was just a blur. And then I have to think back and think, how did I even do it? Right? But the point is, I had that work ethic, that discipline, and I firmly believe that if you put a maximal effort into something, your heart and soul into something, then you stand a much better chance of getting that return. It's not a guarantee. In the gym, I do feel like it is a guarantee. I always, like, for yourself, if you're training, you come and tell me your goals, okay? And these goals basically indicate that you want a 100% result out of the time that you're going to spend training, working with me as an example. And then we identify, you know, how many days a week you want to commit training, how long, what you're going to do for recovery, look at the sleeping, eating. But long story short, we find out that you're willing to give 40% effort. How are you ever going to get that 100% result with 40% effort? You're not. In my experience, even with a 95% effort, you're not guaranteed 95% result. You probably have to go then some to even get that. And I can attest, at least for me personally, that that has you know, been equally applicable in business as well. So that's definitely a quality that transcends the gym floor, that transcends the competition venue to the business floor as well. And also if you think of competition and the competition mindset, you have to have a lot of self-belief. You have to have a lot of confidence in yourself. You have to be able to bullshit yourself as well. Because at some point, you're going to be up there against people that can kick your ass, are as strong as you, are as fast as you. And you can either succumb to that, or you can relish and thrive in that. And for me personally, I much prefer competing to training. I love the competitive environment. Potentially, maybe that's why I enjoyed the sports that I did because they're very physical, they're very physically competitive in that regard. But I think you need that in business as well. You need to be able to relish the hardships. Like, you look at the industry we're in, like, unfortunately, we're closed right now, but prior to that, especially where you're located, if you threw a stone at your gym door, you'd probably hit 25 coaches on the head as you went along there. You know, our business is growing. There's always going to be another gym. I said I was the first warehouse gym in the UK, but Christ knows how many there are now, and that's great, but there's always going to be competition. And I think competition's awesome in business. It's incredibly healthy as well. But then to thrive in that, I think it's useful to have that competitive mindset, as in to rise to the challenge. So I can't tell you how many times places have opened within our area of influence. Maybe not necessarily next door to me, but bear in mind my clientele come from all around the region in the Northeast on a weekly basis, and certainly from around the UK on you know, a, a less regular basis. So there's always going to be another gym. 
And those gyms probably have more money to start with and more equipment, and they may have more coaches. There's always going to be some level of competitiveness. Now, that could overwhelm you. Maybe that makes you insecure. I know we were discussing this before we even went live recording this about, you know, some coaches that aren't comfortable speaking with each other or giving them props. I love to name drop people that have helped me and assisted me. Why? Because, you know, I'm uncomfortable with that. But also I like to give credit where it's due, but there's others that aren't. Maybe that's down to, you know, that competitive nature of me because I'm happy to rise to the challenge. So very long-winded answer there for you. I don't know if that's what you were looking for. But honestly, because this is unscripted, that's what I genuinely believe. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So with with building Spartan over the years, obviously you've got the physical side of it with the gym and you've got a fantastic team of coaches around you now too. What was the what was the process of of building, I guess, the the coaching identity of Spartan? How did you go about doing that? Again, there wasn't a blueprint, there wasn't a template. I'm, I'm firmly, I'm a firm believer in being able to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. I must lead by example in every facet of my life if I expect others to follow. I have to do that. Now that comes down to coaches. We're lucky to have a coach and client relationship alongside our professional friendship. How can I possibly expect you to invest in me to potentially help guide you to get stronger if I'm not willing to go through the process myself? I've always been that person. I think authenticity matters a great deal to me. So you have to be that. So when it comes to being a team, it's very much about leading by example. Because if basically before coaches, you know, I was I had a team and I've been less successful at times in developing that and more successful. Right now, I consider myself to be pretty successful and I'm in, very appreciative of the people that I have around me working for me as a team. They're not my staff, they're not PTs that work at my facility. To me, it's very important that we're a team. And to do that, you know, how Spartan was built, the identity, something I mentioned, I'm still proud that we have that DNA. That has to be there from the start, not only for the coaches that you've got, but also the clients as well. But again, it comes down to me. I must lead by example. So whether that, you know, you probably heard this yourself, on time is at least 15 minutes on time. Yeah. So if you know if you have a client at six in the morning, well, you don't just roll at six o'clock in the morning, do you? You're in, you're ahead of time, etc. But if I'm not doing that, why would anybody else do that? Right? Even though it's the right thing to do, right? And I do make mistakes and I'm fucking an expert at mistakes. We might need a completely other podcast if you want me to tell you all the mistakes I've made, maybe two. But I must lead by example. That then gives an atmosphere, an environment. And for me, I like it to be professional. I consider myself, and I demand that of myself, and I don't, I don't see it as being any special, to be implicitly professional at all times. I must conduct that. So therefore, whether that's my appearance, though that might be strange for some people because my work attire might not necessarily be the suit and tie that, suit and tie that somebody would assume would be a professional. But ultimately, I must lead by example, whether that's how I conduct myself, speaking to people with clients, training myself, etc. So you have to build that. Because yeah? Spartan existed, especially for the team that I have with me now, it existed long before I ever knew any of them. It was established long before there. And that DNA, our philosophy, our core values, because Spartan's core values are my core values. You see me using Itan Iepitas quite frequently. It's on our clothing. Well, actually, it came from me. It's tattooed down my spine. It's on my body. I don't necessarily recommend people have to get a tattoo, although quite a few clients do have a tattoo on the body. 
St. Spartan. But that, that is me. That's my personality. This is who I am. These are my values as an individual. And I've been lucky enough to be able to build a business around those. That's what I expect. So if somebody's coming in, and this is before we worry about qualifications or skills of coaching or anything else like that, it just has to be that attitude. I think that's probably the best way. I'm probably lost for words right now. Maybe not describing as well as I should. But if you have that, that, that standard, in my opinion, you're going to get two people, two types of people. Those that will be in, hopefully inspired, or at least aspire to rise to that standard, providing I, providing I maintain it. And I'll be honest with you, Jack, I've let those standards slip occasionally over the years. And I've only got myself to blame for that. But at the same time, if I maintain those, I want people to aspire to them. So that's one type of person. The other isn't, you know, won't aspire to that. They're not motivated by that. That's not a criticism of them. They're just not the same type of people as me. But to me, that's what Spartan is. That's the atmosphere. That's what you should be getting as a client, as a customer of what we do. So hopefully that helps, obviously, my team develop. At the same time, that's all well and good, but we need that unquenchable thirst for knowledge. So even though I can say I'm the hardest worker in the room and all this, that doesn't take away from the... So yes, I can walk the walk, but we very much still need to be able to talk the talk. Our knife can never be too sharp. Our skill set, our toolbox can never be too full. So it's not like I went to the Frank Rose. I was the first guy in the UK to go there, and then that's it. No. I've put in thousands of hours beyond that and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds perhaps in education, not only for myself, but also for my team beyond that. And that continues to this day. So maybe that then, you know, plays a part in the identity of the team and how we've had the level of success that we have. But I'd like to mention that doesn't make us the success story. We are, I'm far from the finished article. Spartan is far from the finished article. We are not as good as we can be. And even if we get there, I'd always want to look to be better. And I can hopefully say that about my team with no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful yeah, or ungrateful for their efforts. But for me, especially as professionals in this business, we should always want more. And maybe that comes back to your previous question about an athlete. If you are satisfied with your performance level, if you are excuse me, if you're satisfied with your total from your last meet, what the fuck can we achieve? Nothing, because you're happy. You've reached the peak of that mountain, and that's fine, right? You know, I thrive on people that want to improve, that want to get that extra strength. But that doesn't make the people who don't want that any lesser people. But ultimately, how can I help somebody who's happy with what they've got? I can't. I'm always striving for that little bit more. And that's another long-winded answer to a question that I forgot. <laughs> you can interrupt me, you know, you can stop me. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. <laughs> so at Spartan, you've just kind of talking about what, you, what you've said there, some of the things you've said there, obviously it is, it is built around these values of aspiring to more and rising to the challenge. And you've coached some pretty elite level athletes in, in numerous sports. And that goes from you know, cage fighters to football players to, to, you know, motocross athletes and to, you know, world's strongest men and women competitors as well. What do you think it takes for someone to achieve that level of kind of uh, that level in their sport? Okay. Granted, some people are going to have a better attitude for certain things. They're going to just, I'm pretty sure Usain Bolt was pretty fast before he decided to take up athletics. You've got those genetic gifts, but those that are at the top, and more importantly, those that manage to get to the top and stay at the top, 
are the ones that have an incredible work ethic about themselves. They're willing to put in the hours of sacrifice inside the gym and equally importantly outside of the gym, whether that's getting that extra hour of sleep, getting that meal in when otherwise they would have missed it, making sure that meal was better as opposed to worse, etc. Because there's a, a lot of sacrifices that need to be made to get to the top. And the majority of sports, but especially the ones that I've worked with, it's not like what the public would perceive that they're all just super millionaires and it's just so easy for them. You know, they get woken up and they get massaged out of bed and the personal chef, you know, puts it down there. It's not the case. So the things that they share in common are probably personality qualities about that, that they want to be the best that they can be. And potentially, when I, you know, that spiel that I just gave you before there, but my passion, quite possibly that's why I'm in this business in the first place, right? Because on reflection, maybe I thrive being around people like that. Because I'm not the only one that's doing that. But they've got that work ethic and they will put the hours in. They will have the discipline, not only again inside the gym, to make those sessions, but also to make the most of each and every session, but also to not, not resist the temptations outside of the gym, but see the bigger picture. Yeah, Especially when I'm talking about youth athletes that we've worked with. Because, you know, especially for myself, you go through puberty and the world opens up and suddenly things seem a lot more appealing than others. Yeah, it tends to be their distractions. And it's the ones that are willing. And it doesn't make people bad for necessarily pursuing those because I'm guilty of it myself. But the ones that, you know, get to where they want to be, again, success leaves clues, does it not? So if you look at all of those, and if there's any world champion that I've worked with, or any athlete that's been able to compete to a high level, right? Because not everyone gets to become world champion. That's why I love competitive sport. There can only be one winner. All right, but it doesn't mean that you don't give it a good shot. But all those that have achieved any high level, and especially over a sustained period of time, they're doing certain things in common, and they're qualities that I respect massively. You know, and it is great to see. And I think one of the one of the best things that I've certainly experienced coming to train at Spartan is that you can have an environment where you know, at one side of the room, one of the coaches is leading a class of. Uh, you know, young kids who are learning how to move in loads of different ways. And then on the other side of the room, you've got someone doing a one-to-one -one session who is there to improve their strength and their body composition uh, away from a nine-to-five job. And then in another corner of the room, you've got someone like Donna Moore, who's competed in World's Strongest Woman, and you have this really versatile environment. And how, how do you think you've been able to tie all that together where you have a group of people who are at such different levels, but they're all kind of working towards, you know, not, not necessarily the same thing, but they all have the same sort of ethos in there. I think it's really good that you bring that up because just prior, I was speaking about the world champions, the elite athletes that I've worked with. You know, if you speak to some people, all I do is train UFC fighters. We're just a UFC gym. And I even got that maybe only a month ago. They didn't come to our gym because they thought it was just a cage and we were just fighting. Or that we just train world's strongest man competitors. Or just this or just the other. That's a tiny proportion of the people that have been through Spartan's doors over the years. And it's a tiny proportion of my client membership base right now. Not all of them. The vast majority are your average Joes, average James. They are not at that level in terms of achievement in sport. But you know what? They're exactly the same. You know, Spartan, to me, provides an environment where like-minded people can come and thrive. So all those different disciplines, goals, ages, abilities, maturities, whatever you want to class it as, 
training under one roof at the same time. To me, they're exactly the same. So just some statistics. Generally, the youngest athletes or the youngest clients we work with are seven years and above. Below that, I do not feel that we are the best at delivering a quality service. Below that, I'd rather they went to a gymnastics club or something like that. But ultimately, at seven years old, we have members and clients that. Our oldest is 81, 82. You know the guy, Arthur. Yeah? Yes. The original Spartan, right? My hero and what should be everybody's role model. Not just in the gym, but outside of it as well. The guy's got qualities that are just... Oh. Yeah? So we've got from 7 to 82. And we have every age in between. Either sex, but as well as that, we've got all level abilities, all levels of goal, all levels of profession, etc., etc. So everybody in many ways is incredibly different. Yet they have one common factor. They want results. They want to achieve. And I think that that, that permeates around the gym, that sort of atmosphere, that environment. That's what we want to do. We're an environment that wants to cultivate goal-oriented people. And that doesn't mean that if you come there, don't, you don't have a set goal, you don't become world champion, you can't work with you. Of course not. It sometimes takes time to develop and identify that. But as yourself, you know, that's part of the qualities of being a coach. Someone reaching out to you obviously wants to be somewhere or something, but maybe their journey isn't going to be necessarily as linear as that. They're not always going to come in with a laser focus. I totally get that that can sound like a fucking lunatic to some people. But ultimately, everybody that we have has a goal. And it's our job to basically help them achieve that goal. It just so happens that we can facilitate that through strength training, results-based strength training. But again, and you, you, you know this, but many people don't. So Donna Miller, you know, in my opinion, the greatest female strength athlete that there is, but especially on the world's strongest woman front, she strength trains here. But how she strength trains will be very different to a professional UFC fighter. And also very different to potentially how this Arthur guy happens to train or how you train or how I train. But we can all benefit from strength training. It's our job as coaches to identify the right tool, the right method for the individuals at the right time. You know, so you might come in here and see our strength training for seven-year-olds just be some movement and coordination drills and team skill drills on the turf. As far as I'm concerned, we're developing strength Potentially physical strength, but also mental strength, you know, that maturity and things like that. So I think they can coexist because they're probably more similar than they are different, if that makes any sense. And it certainly makes my job, in my opinion, so much easier because if you come into an environment like that, you know, where everybody's kicking ass, everybody's training with a purpose or a goal. Well, to me, that's an environment that breeds success. It's conducive. You know, I want to be around like-minded people. I stand a much better chance of being able to achieve, in, that, in my opinion, in that environment, as opposed to being around one where people aren't necessarily like that. And maybe that's you know, a big factor in our, the success we've had. And you mentioned early on that this has been a time, obviously gyms are closed right now due to the current situation. It's been a time of reflection where you can look back on everything that's happened and where you are as a business and think about moving forward. What would you... Or have you spent any time thinking about, you know, what you think the the biggest success you have at Spartan is? I firmly believe, despite the fact that the gym is closed, so in essence, we are not trading as we once were. I've actually never been as busy in my entire life. I'm absolutely delighted that I have this time because I need it. There's so much to be done, whether that's self-reflection personally, self-reflection on the business itself, Basically, and as you well know, again, we had a conversation earlier this week. I'm trying to 
critically analyze every aspect of my business that we have. I want to use this time as constructively as I possibly can. Yes, it's nice to look back on, you know, the things we've achieved, and I love the fact that we've kept our identity, etc. But I firmly believe that there is such a thing as pre-COVID and post-COVID. So there's pre-lockdown, and there's the world we're going to move into, especially as an industry, post-lockdown. They're going to be similar, but also very different in many ways. So this time is given, and it's important that I use this time effectively. Yes, we clean the facility. Yes, we can paint the walls that need it, but in all fairness, I only built this place in December. So it's in pretty good condition. We can do those things, but that, that's just the same as breathing. That is normal. I can spend this time to be incredibly proactive to review everything we've got. And I can't say that it's a blessing because I would never wish you know, the current circumstances on anyone. But being able to pause other aspects of the business. I mentioned before, I've never taken a breath in 12 years up until this point. Yeah, maybe on Christmas Day and Boxing Day off, maybe. You know, sometimes I come in on Christmas Day. But you know, beyond that, it's very easy to focus on the big fires or the things that you see, but you might lose track of other things. And I'm well aware that of the mistakes I've made or might have overlooked things. This time can be used incredibly constructively, incredibly positively. It's like anything, you can let the situation get on top of you or you can, you know, not necessarily master it, but take advantage of it for yourself. You know, because the reason that we're closed is beyond my control. It's beyond your control or anything else like that. I have to accept that, and I do. I'm also incredibly grateful for my health and the health of my family. But I can basically tear down everything that we've got and try and make it a better service. To do that, you need that reflection. Yes, you can look back and appreciate the things that you've done well. And I feel like we have done certain things pretty well, better than others. We've done some things well. But to me, it can be a very valuable time. And that's only going to put us in a position to come out of this you know, stronger. Because it's certainly going to be challenging times ahead. I think, and I could come across as super optimistic and think it's going to be plain sailing. It's not, especially in our industry. Not all gyms are going to come out of this. Not all the PTs, coaches are going to come out of this in terms of being in employment or anything else like that. And I don't say that with any satisfaction. I don't wish that on anybody, but those are the cold facts. You know, I want to use this time as constructively as possible, as proactively as possible, not only to improve myself, to improve my business as well, but I have to acknowledge I have team members. I have three full-time members of staff that work with me, coaches. I want to do the best by them as well. So if we don't use that time at this time now like that, we're not going to do it. Likewise for yourself, slightly different environment, but I'm pretty sure that you're not just chilling in the garden every day watching your dog eat mud. No? <laughs> That's a skill. Yeah, no. At the end of the day, you have the best interests of your clients at heart. So if you work predominantly one-to-one -one with clients on-site, out of Pioneer, but now, I know you were doing online coaching as well, but that was just a small proportion. The majority was in person. Now everybody's online. So how have you had to adapt? How can you then still be, you know, that voice of reason, the authority that they need? So it's not just me that's having to adapt, and I've got no doubt you're using that time wisely, and hopefully many others are. And if you're not, start using it. Absolutely. And it, it's certainly been a time where I think all of us at Pioneer have tried to do the same thing I think it's a time where you can really kind of step up and like you said I think it's taking that mindset of rising to almost rising to the challenge I think with with your business if that's possible I know for some people it won't be but if you're in a position like myself or you where you can still serve people it is rising to that challenge and I guess leading from the front you have to I'm very much 
I, I see life, I see strength training competing, and I see business as a sink or swim situation. I'm a shark. If I stop swimming, I'm going to fucking die. Right? That's how I feel about every set or every rep that I push into myself. Whether I get the outcome I want or not, you know, is a different matter. But that's how I approach it. And I urge anybody in a position right now in the industry that circumstances will be different. But there's some, we can all improve somehow. You can be proactive somehow. Maybe you can't serve your clientele at all. I'm not telling you how that would be because even for a caveman like myself, I've been made aware of something called Skype. And what's this one called? Zoom? Zoom? And, you know, there's ways to communicate. It's an opportunity to become more diverse, to upskill yourself. And maybe areas, I couldn't have given a shit what Zoom was before this. Yeah? But there's, there's, just, there's always something that you can do. I use this analogy when people train. Like, well, one, I'm an expert in being injured myself, but everyone, especially in strength training, are going to be injured at some point. Too many times I see people focusing on what they can't do. Focus on what you can got a broken arm, well, you've got another arm. You've got two legs. There's, there's just always something that you can do. And I'll look back to one of my idols, Andy Bolden, guy that you've had the pleasure of working with as well. Yes, recently he's got the biggest hands I've ever seen. Yeah, stretched by those deadlifts, yeah. So normal, you need to meet Mark Felix if you haven't yet. <laughs> I think they're on a different level to Andy's, but Andy, in my opinion, the greatest deadlifter in powerlifting history. Um Already an accomplished athlete, a legend, long before I ever had the pleasure of knowing him. But I've been lucky enough to get to know him and become good friends with him as well. I've even been lucky enough to be able to coach him in some regard. Though I, I would like to disclaim it, I'm not taking any credit for any of his lifts. But the fact that I happened to be around him also coincided when he had big health scare. Issues that he's very public about in terms of his kidneys, etc. Basically the hell the guy's been through for the last few years. And not once, whether it was in person, whether it was speaking over the phone, via a message, did I ever see anything less than absolute positivity? Things were getting taken away from him at an alarming rate. He was the alpha male in powerlifting, and it was just almost gone overnight. And when that went, something else went, and something else went. Seriously, it was just like one fucking thing after the other, a blow after a blow. And all I saw was positivity. Well, I can't do this, so I'll do that. You know, and I, I very much take a lot of inspiration for that. So I don't know if Andy listens to this, but you know, you know, thank you, thank you very much because it certainly gave me strength in times of struggle that were nowhere near as much as what you're doing there. So if he can overcome that or be proactive when he's been dealt a real shit hand right across the board, so can I, so can you, so can anybody listening here. There's just something that you can do with your time positively, so that you can either be proactive now and still have some semblance of a business. Or at the very least, come out the other side because the world's going to change with or without you. What the government decides that we're going to do, I think we get to know out on Sunday. That's going to happen. It doesn't really matter what you do today, tomorrow, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. That's happening. We've got to work with that. And you've got time now. That was always my biggest gripe and my biggest failing. Too long I spent working in my business. Those 80, 90, 100 hour weeks. I was working in them, but I wasn't working on the business. So yes, I could say, oh, I was trading this many people. I used to pride myself on three hours sleep a night. I was jacked, three hours sleep, kicking ass all the time. Great. Except if I wasn't working on my business in that time period, it certainly wasn't progressing as it should have been. And maybe my services weren't as good as they could have been. Now you've got the perfect opportunity to work on your business. So please find whatever way. There's so many 
avenues for education and resources out of there. There's also a lot of fucking bullshit artists and con artists and fucking influencers and all the people with the secret for this nonsense. Hopefully you've got the ability to see through that bullshit. But there's a lot of great people out there. Use that time. I completely agree with you. And I, th- I think the, you know, using Andy's story as, uh, as an example, I, th- I think it's, I, I was exactly the same when I met him, truly inspired by the amount of stuff the guys overcome and with such a positive attitude as well. I think it's, it's certainly something that we can all take something from right now, especially. Absolutely. Great guy. If you don't, if you don't follow him, follow him. Brilliant guy. Just going back to the practical side of things right now, what's it been like going from, I, I seem to remember you saying, did you have a membership of over 200 at Spartan? Yes, so pre-closure of COVID, our membership base, bear in mind, membership's only one facet of our business. Mm-hmm. I don't classify that as athletes that may come and train infrequently or semi-frequently or people that come to classes or courses, but our core membership, I believe, was around about 214 just before closure. Okay, so you've gone from having, even if we just take that number on its own, that many people coming into Spartan, yes. obviously gyms close, and then how have you managed taking that and moving moving to serving those people online because spartan online has been something that you guys have been posting about a lot recently and it, it seems like a you know there is there's still no matter if the gym's open or not there's still that that urge to train and how how has that been to to transfer into this it was a challenge i won't lie partly because of my ineptitude with technology i consider myself to be far better in person than i do tech, technology wise but ultimately it was taken out of our hands that we could have a physical facility where people could come and train. You know, that wasn't just something that, I, that befell me. It's just across the world. There's a fucking global pandemic going on. I'll be completely honest with you. I expected it, but on it was a Friday, I think it was the 20th of March, when the closure came, so it was enforced. I was actually driving back to the gym, and I pulled up into the car, and I shed a couple of tears. The emotion got to me. At the moment there, you know, I was looking back at everything that I've done to get where I was. And for at that moment, it overwhelmed me because it felt like it was all being taken away. And I kind of succumbed to my worst fears over it. It wasn't particularly long, but I'd be lying to you if I was to suggest that I didn't have a moment of weakness. Took a deep breath because I knew fine well that my gym was still operating. We had till midnight that night to close. I had people that were in there. They're looking for leadership, whether that's my teammates, but also the members that were within that one there. So it was a shock. We managed to close up the gym, look in the picture of positivity whilst inside, you know, like an iceberg under the water. It was like, fuck, what do we do? Especially, again, why? Because I've just committed to a significantly larger facility in December. So I'd invested massively in the building of a huge new facility that was that required people to come and train, more people than what we had. So our business model was built around growing and pushing. Now that's gone completely. So it was a shock. But then you sit down and you basically just think, you know, impartially, critically about it. There's always a way. So what we did is we basically had our membership base. Now, what can I do? And say, right, guys, we've been closed by the government. Thanks, I'll come back to you in the future. No, because there's always something that I could do. What are my members coming to me for? What are our clients coming to us for? The only thing that they can't get right now is physical access to our equipment. 
And even then, that's not true because I loaned out as much of my equipment as I possibly could to my membership base. No, I'm not going to lend out the hack squad, by the way, just before you ask, yeah? So, but, I, was hope, I was hoping you would. <laughs> <laughs> it's too fucking heavy. If you can lift it, take it. It nearly killed me to get it into the gym. So the only thing that they, in reality, the only thing, so we closed on a Friday night, normally we're open on a Saturday, but ostensibly the only difference from the following Monday morning was that they would not have physical access to the facility. But is that really all that Spartan is? If it was then we would be fucked. It was, it was just a myth. It's a lie that we're living. But it's not. We have the expertise, the knowledge, the skill set, not only of myself, though I'm, you know, I'm reasonably humble, but probably not. You know, I've walked the walk and talked the talk for quite a period of time. You know, I've gotten results over a long period of time with a huge range of people. There is a value to the things that I can provide, speaking like this, whether this is Skype consultations, group chats, et cetera, or the medium of just the written word, et cetera. Program. I can still provide program design, coaching tips, technique tips. Look at the way that we work together. We work online. We don't work face-to-face in person that frequently. But we can still deliver what I would consider or hopefully to be a good level of service. It's the same for yourself and your clients. So you work with people in person and online. Is your online service just that much inferior because it's not in person? Of course not. It's the best you can do with the limitations presented by distance. In this case, it was limitations beyond our control. So if they don't have access to a facility, it was my job to lead by example, because bear in mind, to an extent, I was supported by my team, but as well as that, then we're furloughed, so it's not quite the same. But ultimately, it's my job to lead by example and to show my clientele that we will basically operate to the best of our ability within the constraints that we have. Maybe it's that competitive mindset because I could have been overwhelmed indefinitely with it. Briefly, I was, but I wasn't. Do you know why? Because I was lucky. And I, I, I'm reluctant to use that term, but it's true. Why? Because it wasn't just like Spartan was closed. Just because I ate a bat in 2000 in China that the COVID broke out in Spartan came back to haunt me that only Spartan was closed by the government. It's industry-wide. So every gym is closed. So it's not like my membership base could say, well, you know, we really love training at Spartan, coaching, et cetera, but I can go to the gym down the road. Well, actually, I'm sure there's some gyms still operating now on the sly in Newcastle, hint, hint. But bar those gyms, we'll talk separately about that one. But predominantly, gyms are closed. That's bad news, guys, because you're playing with people's health, and that's just no good. Anyway, I digress. Ultimately, everyone's closed. So they couldn't say to me, well, actually, unfortunately, we're going to have to take our business elsewhere because they can provide me an unsafe facility. Nobody can. So it became my task, my job, to provide the very best level of service that I could in respect of what their memberships gave them. But basically, you want to over-deliver as well. And that's what we've tried to do with Spartan Online. Have we achieved it? Well, I think we've done reasonably well because we have lost very few clients. Now, bear in mind, many leave not because the service has diminished, but unfortunately, their personal circumstances have changed. You know, And I don't care if I'm providing gold bars on my online service. That doesn't take precedent over people's personal circumstances, their home lives. The issues are far greater than whether you can get to the gym right now. The point being is, if we can over-deliver in the medium that we have, then I think we're doing a good service to our clients. But the key thing, and again, the reflection that I'm talking about, why we had a private discussion 22 days ago, how can I improve that? Because it's quite possible that a Spartan Online will have to continue for a period of time because 
there's different dates bandied about. We don't really know which one it is. But I think what we can all agree on is that, let's say, it's the 12th of May. Hypothetical date. Don't even know what day that is. Business may resume, but it will never resume as it was. There will be restrictions in place. How we were pre-COVID, we will not immediately go back to being able to trade as that. So it could be that that online system needs to support people, maybe to a lesser degree, and granted it'll be phased out. The point is, you've got to over-deliver. So that's what we're trying to do. I hope we're doing a good job. I'm certainly giving it my all to do so. That's awesome. Uh, I, I think in true Spartan style, you've uh, you've led from the front for, for your team on that one as well. You've got to. You know, and I appreciate you saying that. I won't lie. It's nice to hear. I will take prayers. But ultimately, like for your clients, you lead by example. They didn't reach out to you and then you were just panic and think, oh, I don't know what's going to fucking happen. You come back to us. I don't have a job. I can't, you know, you weren't. I would imagine that you were the picture of calmness, picture of composure on the surface. Why? Because they are working with you for a reason. They're looking up to you for a reason. That's your responsibility. So to me, you know, well done. But in reality, do you really need a well done? Because to me, that's just doing your job. And I'm just doing mine. But by doing that and trying to do it to the best of my ability, to the best of your ability, maybe, and I don't know, but it's a hunch of mine that that may be one of the best ways to come out of this in the strongest possible position. Because if you show lesser qualities right now, you know, if you let this situation, even though it might have good right to do so, but ultimately we're judged on what we provide professionally, not what's going on in our personal lives. It's not the business of my clients to be concerned what my personal life's like. We have a professional relationship, and I'm bound professionally to deliver that to the best of my ability. That's all I'm trying to do, and I think that's all that anybody that continues to work with me and to invest in me and Spartan as well can expect, and I'm pretty sure you would say the same about your clientele as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay. To, to start wrapping things up, for those who are out there who may be right at the start of this journey of strength, they're looking ahead, they, they want to achieve things for themselves. This, this might be a, a very big question as well. Um, so feel free to, to mull on it for a minute or, or uh, ramble on for a while as well. Uh, it's not a ramble. I'm pretty good at that, but I'll try not to. <laughs> uh, do you have any advice or words of wisdom for people who are just starting out in this game of strength? Is that somebody that's training or is that somebody that's in the business of having a gym? I think let's let's maybe separate those two things out. So for for anyone who is who's interested in pursuing it on a personal level, okay. and then for anyone who's interested in pursuing it on a uh, professional level, because there may be coaches that listen to this as well. Okay, so from a personal level, you are just about to embark on a strength training journey. Accept, learn, acknowledge that this is a game for life where especially in strength training, success is measured in years, if not decades. And I stole that from Jim Wendler. That's not my own words. If you don't know who that guy is, that's probably something else you can do straight away. Educate yourself on people that deliver excellent resources within this. But to me, Jim espouses that, and it's something I buy into heavily. Strength training is a game for life. You have to play the long game. So for that, it requires dedication, discipline and commitment to a cause straight up you're going to have to accept that but the sooner that you do the better chance you can thrive within that 
If you're new to training altogether, then you will experience the mythical new begins. And no matter what you do, something always good comes from it. You grow, you get stronger. But eventually that runs out pretty damn quickly. What do you do after that? All right? So you must see that bigger picture. You must be patient. I would look for you to educate yourself as much as you possibly can. Now, that's whether that be programming, so actually what are you doing in training, but most importantly, how you are. So don't be afraid to seek coaching as well. Shameless plug for us coaches, I suppose. But at the end of the day, we do serve good coaches, do serve a purpose. It becomes not necessarily what you do, but how you do it. And the better, like to me, strength training is a skill. The more that you practice that skill, the better you can become at performing strength training, but also getting results from that. So that's what I would like you to do. Have that mindset, that maturity to understand that this task, potentially there is no end goal. Let's say that you currently bench press 60 kilos because you tested it and you want to bench 100. Great. But that is not going to be the end of the journey. If you do this consistently enough in a reasonably short space of time, that will be achieved. Is that the end? No. In my opinion, there is no end to strength training. There's always more kilos, more reps, you know, or a better way to train or a smarter way to train. Have that discipline. Educate yourself because I think it's a lot easier to apply yourself to that dedication and time frame if you understand the whys. Now, some people respond very well. They just want to be told what to do. You might have you know, clients like that, Jack. Just tell me what to do. And often I would thrive in that as well. Seriously, just, okay, when you, I learned what, there's an app you can get for your phones when you write the Instagram post, it doesn't look like shit. It's called something or other. I don't know, but I could do with getting a hold of that because I get picked up on my grammar all the time. <laughs> right, okay. Well, I'll tell you what it is, but it's an app, all right? But basically, you can improve on that side of things. So I educate myself. Find those tools. I can work on those things to try and get better at what I'm doing. It's the same thing when it comes to training as well, all right? Understand why you're doing it. Then you'll be able to perform that just that little bit better as well. Never overlook the value of a coach, whether that's you're just starting out but also as you get more and more experienced. Yeah? You want to have that accountability. I think those things are important. I could probably waffle on more, but in reality, they're probably the big factors. That's your mental approach to it, your willingness to learn, and also knowing that it's just a case of you know, just showing up and putting the work in. But the smarter that work can be, chances are the better your results and the less likely that you're going to get injured. Oh, yeah, and final point, you will get injured. You have to accept that point. But again, if you have that mental resilience, that discipline, that willingness to learn and to take coaching, in this case from potentially therapists, you can overcome it. So that's from the personal perspective. You ask him, what can a coach do from a strength training journey? So that's maybe somebody that's just starting out in the industry, wants to work as a coach? Yes. All right, brilliant. Number one, be your own first client. Stole this from Christian Thibodeau. I think anything of use that I've got to say, I've just stole off other people. That's fine. I will take the credit. I firmly believe that we have to walk the walk and talk the talk within this industry. If we cannot get ourselves into shape and maintain being in shape, bear in mind, I didn't say you had to be world's strongest man or Mr. Olympia. You don't have to be the pinnacle of strength, the pinnacle of low levels of body fat. You don't have to be Lance Armstrong in a bloody road biking race. But you have to be able to get yourself into a semblance of shape and maintain that because you lead by example. I'll give you an example of something that happened in my facility some time back. We had somebody that wanted to be a coach. Therefore, ultimately, they would be working with clientele. It was the client's observation back to me, their feedback. 
Why would I pay to be coached by this individual to help me improve my ability, well, one, to achieve a bodyweight pull-up, but then to progress on them? If A, that coach has no interest in doing them themselves and can't do a pull-up for themselves, why am I going to invest in that? And what they weren't saying was, well, they can only do 15 bodyweight pull-ups, and I know somebody that can do 20 and isn't even a coach, so I'll just pay them. That's not what they were saying. But we must lead by example. So become your own first client. So as you're educating yourself, whilst you're refining your technique, etc., you can be showing that off. Whether that maybe you're just a member of a gym right now and you aspire to be a coach, but become the best technical lifter within that gym for yourself. Because if you can't lift well yourself, how can you then teach somebody else? That being said, that's only one part of the equation. Because you can look a million dollars. You know, look like Tarzan, but play like Jane. I think that's a saying in rugby. So look like Tarzan, but coach like Jane. That's really awful. No disrespect to Jane. But I think you get where I'm coming from in this one there. You need the knowledge, the smarts, to be able to back that up. And your knife can never be too sharp. So you should have that unquenchable thirst to always get more knowledge. Don't assume that you are the finished article, that you know everything. There's always something to learn, and there's always somebody to learn from. Even if, and this is something that I say to the coaches that work with me, we could go to seminars throughout the year. We've even brought people to ourselves that Spartan you've attended. A lot of seminars, well, there's two ways to look at it. Some, some, somebody would say, person A will say, I learned nothing on that seminar. It's fucking shit. And that's all that they take from that. But person B could, you know, maybe they only took one thing. Or maybe all they learned was how not to be. Yeah, there's always some semblance of value. But in my experience, I mean, the most challenging thing within this business for me as a business owner is staffing. It's proven a nightmare time and time again, and I haven't really solved that conundrum. But ultimately, what I look at is I see too many people that aren't willing to put the work into themselves. So they're not going to eat well themselves. They're not going to have good habits within their lifestyles. Why are they then going to become a chargeable authority for somebody else? You're your own first client, lead by example. But at the same time, you must get those skills. Yeah? And that's why I made the mistake back in the day of hiring for qualification. Skills can be learned. Do you know what can't be learned? Attitude. Right? I can't teach somebody the right attitude to have. I can tell you what I think the right attitude is, but it doesn't give you it. You have to have that personally. So you need to be honest with yourself about that one as well. And to me, the right attitude is somebody who's incredibly humble, in terms of, you may be an amazing athlete, but be humble enough to recognize that you may, you may need more than that to become an ex excellent coach. And even when you become a damn good coach and you get certain qualifications, that's not the end of the road. Like I said, I didn't just go to Joe Franco in 2009 and then say, fuck it, you know, gym coach, completed it, mate. I'm there. I, I could have, and I might have, you know, borderlined on that, and it cost me. It cost me professionally. Don't make those mistakes. And especially now, you know, back when I started out, there was no social media. The internet wasn't what it once was. You've got access to any level of information and any level of authority. Why would you not reach out to them? Yeah. And as well as that, again, on the humble side of things, you'd be amazed the amount of people that will not put themselves out there and go and learn. You know, I, I commuted to New Jersey to go and learn from, you know, what I thought was the best at the time you know, to try and improve my skills. I know people in Newcastle that would never make the journey to concert to learn or the journey from concert to Newcastle to come and learn. How many times have you came to seminars in my place and the most alarming or the most noteworthy thing, despite there being a world-class authority teaching, was the fact that there was nobody from the Northeast. I remember when Dimitri Klockoff came over 
Right? One, he sells on name power alone, athletic prowess. He's also a damn good coach. I believe, by yourselves, there's nobody in the north of England that came. You know, there's plenty of people that knew about it that didn't bother to come. It was as if they knew more. They weren't willing to push themselves and test themselves. Don't be that person. Go out there, learn from people, expose yourself to other training modalities, to other gyms. I was quite happy to go to a gym whilst trying to set my own up, ostensibly work for free, but basically I spent a lot of money to get no money back initially to try and improve those skill sets. That's something you can't learn in a textbook. But I think you need to have the right attitude over that one there as well. I think I could probably go on, but I would say that they're certainly the qualities that you need to begin with. You know, and if you've got them, it puts you in a great position because I think we're in a great industry because it's something that, you know, especially society pre-COVID, the level of obesity, et cetera, within the, you know, the population we're at, we can impact positively so many more people. Got to be careful how I say this. Training in a gym, physical training is not a cure for COVID and it's not a guarantee that you will not get that. But the more physically robust that you are, the better your eating habits, et cetera, et cetera, puts you in a better position, in my opinion. So you have the ability or you can be in the position to have that impact on somebody's life. It's a very privileged position of profession to pursue, but with that comes, was it with great power comes great responsibility? What the fuck is that off? Uncle Ben, that's Spider-Man. Yeah, Spider-Man, there we go. Okay, well, I love movies as well. But honestly, it's true. Do those things, and that will put you in a great position. It would certainly elevate you above everybody else, at least in my eyes. So maybe try those things. I think that there's some absolutely fantastic messages to finish on as well. And certainly for me, that's that's what I've got from coming over to Spartan and, and attending the seminars and speaking to yourself over the years. And I think also looking at that from the personal perspective as well, I think that's a really good attitude for for anyone who's starting out to to listen to and absorb. So just to to wrap things up now, I'm going to plug what's behind you there because people won't be able to see it that you also have a book out. Should I move out of the way? (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've got a copy lying around somewhere. Can you you just kind of, let's wrap things up by speaking a little bit about Spartan Strength. Okay. So I have a book that was published called Spartan Strength. And I am damn proud of it. Um, I deliberately did not look to release a book, at least solely by myself, until I'd at least had 10 years, a decade, of getting results in the gym. Even though I might have known what five sets of five was before that point. I felt I came to a point in my career where I've achieved enough results with a bigger range of people that I've potentially had some things of value to say. And I was lucky enough to work with a great editor, a guy called John Lipsy, who help the book look and read incredibly well because that's beyond my skill set but ultimately I think I genuinely feel like it's a great resource and if you buy it you know I might be able to get a few more five guys when they open you know maybe dye this beard so I wouldn't be disappointed about that but honestly I believe in it passionately that it's a great resource if anybody was to purchase it it is available on my website and through Amazon I will be you know appreciative but at the same time please you know, reach out to me on social media. Hit me on Instagram. You can DM me on there. I will always respond. You can shoot me an email. Let me know what you thought about it. If you've got any questions or anything, I'm happy to, you know, get into conversation about it. But yes, I have a book. And yes, I wouldn't mind selling some copies. And obviously, it's fucking awesome as well. I'll make sure that, there is, uh, that there's links to that in the, uh, in the description as well. And I appreciate that, Jack. Thank you. 
It's my pleasure because I've read it and it is a fantastic book. It's it's certainly one of the best I've read. So if people do want to reach out to you on social media, on Instagram, uh, what what platforms, are? what's the best way to do that and where can they find you? The best way would be Instagram. I think that's probably the one that most people have access to and use probably most frequently. It's simply my name, Jack Lovett. The Gym Spartan performance is also up there. But if you hit my private page, Jack Lovett, not Jack Lovett, Alex, by all means, hit me a DM, drop a comment on anything that I post. I'll admit I've been a bit of a dinosaur, stroke lazy bastard on that. So I am providing a bit more content there. But I assure you, even if it looks slightly quiet, if you DM me, I will gladly reach out. Failing that, you can reach me, jack at spartanperformance.co.uk. So that's just simply my work email. Again, you, can, you don't need to be a client of mine. You might not want to be a client of mine. But if you have an interest in the things that I've spoke about or the things that I do, if you reach out to me, honestly, it would be my pleasure to get back to you. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being on the, uh, on the podcast today, Jack. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it too. It's actually been really good. So thank you for your time as well. My pleasure. I'm sure you'll agree that the amount of value that Jack delivers is absolutely vast in this sort of thing. In just an hour, I was really, really pleased with how much we managed to cover. And I'm pretty certain this won't be the only time that I get Jack on the podcast. I've got absolutely bags of time for the guy, so it was great to have him on. I will make sure all the links that I spoke about at the end are included, where you can go and find Jack on social media. I'll include a link to Spartan Performance's website and also a link to where you can buy his book, Spartan Strength, which I would highly recommend you go and do. And also, I'd like to say thanks to Jack for providing platforms to reach out to him if you have any questions. That's something that I've done in the past and now to the point where he's been coaching me for a year. So if you do have any questions for him, again, I would highly recommend you reach out to him and ask away because he's got mountains of value to give when it comes to getting stronger. Thank you again for listening. And if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this, please share it with them. Please leave a review, like and download and comment and all of those things because it really, really helps the podcast grow and share this to more people. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and I will see you in the next episode.